0: the most frequent question that I get asked, I don't know whether in your minds there'll be some things going over thinking, what must Vicky get asked? But the most frequent question I get asked by people is what is God's will for my life? And people desperately want to know what God's will is for their life. I remember that for me. And you know, you sometimes feel like And some people think that there is a specific thing that it has to be. It's named or framed in a certain way. But people are desperate to know what God's will is for their life. Well, today I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to suggest what God's will is for your life. Today I'm going to answer that question and I'm going to tell you what God's will is for your life because he has a will for your life. And I think it might shock you and I think it might surprise you because I think when people are asking what the will of God is for their life, they're thinking along certain lines that it's a practical thing, that it's a physical thing, that it's a doing thing. And people are trying to probably have a list of things that they think God's will is for everybody's life and which is theirs off the list because they're not quite sure where they fit. And so today your question is going to be answered. I am going to tell you exactly what God's will is for your life. But before we start, can we stand to our feet? I want to pray. As God speaks to us through His Word, Father God, we thank you already for Your presence in this place. We thank you for those times of that just just that gentleness, where we knew that You were here and that You are with us. We thank you that You are a God who is alive, that You are active, that You are speaking, and that You are changing lives. God, we thank you that we do not serve a religion, but we are we serve a risen Savior. A Jesus Christ who died and He rose again, and so today we are here, we are ready, and we are expecting for what you're going to say. Amen. Amen. Recently, we bought a new house, and um, we—I didn't realize this, but—and it's not a nuisance to us, but we somehow were on a flight path, so we get big planes going over the top of us. And after a few weeks, a friend came to the house. And she was incredibly excited that we are on a flight path. And the f- the planes go over. And when she first mentioned it to me, I didn't realize anymore that we were on a flight path. Because I've become desensitized to the noise of the planes. Because I'm used to it. I'm used to the noise of the planes. They don't come over that often. It's not like we're, you know, next to terminal, like, five or however many they have at Manchester Airport. We don't live next to Heathrow, but they come over. And, and this friend was incredibly excited. And when she said about it, I remember thinking, oh, I don't even really notice them anymore. The friend is in the room. I'm not going to say who it is, but if anybody else is passionate about planes, your soulmate's in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie Horn. No, anyway. <laughs> but do you know something? I, I got to thinking how this could happen to us as Christians. We can become desensitized to the fact that we know God, to the fact that I'm really sorry whoever's bored this is, but I'm really concerned I'm going to go flying. So, um, but we can become desensitized to the amazing power of God. We can become desensitized to the miracles of God and all of those things that are around knowing God and being a Christian. A Christian is somebody who has accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior and is a follower of Jesus. Uh, the savior of the world. And then I was thinking about different scenarios in my own life where I have at times become desensitized to the things of God and therefore I have fallen foul to missing the things of God that were currently going on. One of the scenarios is living in the good old days. My life, I've had a rich history. I, I come from, when I say rich, I don't mean a wealthy I would say better than wealthy. A rich, spiritually, spiritually rich family seeing God move in miracles and powers and 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 I just think things that will blow your mind. That I would tell you now, and you would think it's not even possible. It's not even real. I, many of you know the story of my losing my dad when I was younger. I saw a miracle there. I saw about how years. You know, it took me years, and I ended up in a bad way. And then God saved me, and he rescued me from the desperate grief that I'd become trapped in that was causing anxiety. I've seen miracles in my own children's life. Eleanor herself is a walking miracle. You know, if you ever ask her testimony of what her testimony was, and she was diagnosed with a condition that was a one in a million, and they didn't even know what her life would look like. And, look, and now I have seen the power in the things of God. But also what I want to say is if you camp in the good old days and you set your tent up in the land called the good old days and you sit in your tent, in your comfort, in the warmth, in the memories of, yes, all that God has done. But if you set up camp there, whilst you are in your camp surrounded by the familiarity of the blessings and the wonders of God, what happens is you miss. And you fail to engage in everything that is going on in the good present. And the the good old days, they're not to be forgotten about. That's not what I'm saying. They're to be honored. They're to be respected. They're to be talked about in a way where you give glory to God. Oh, this is what happened to me. And they are a story. But you must not live in them. When you live in the good old days, you are going to miss everything that God is doing now. Don't look at the miracles of the past and miss the miracles of the present. Because if all we want to do is talk about the miracles of the past, talk about the moves of God of the past, talk about this from the past, talk about that from the past, you'll get a group of people who want to do the same as you, but you will all completely miss what God is doing in the present. The second thing is living in this is another thing that can desensitize you to the, the things of God and his power is living in the familiarity of knowing God. I've known God for, I'm trying to think of how old I am, 42 years, and that was from being a girl, five, I was saved, I was baptized, I know 100%, it was not just a flip away decision, it was a decision I made. I remember going into the, the room where my dad was, and he was on his knees, and he was reading this, this book, um, A Concordance, and he was studying, he was on his knees, and I remember walking and saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. And it was as real to me then as it is now. But what can happen over the years is a pride can come in about how long you've known God. That sometimes we can feel above correction. We can feel that there's not as much need to read the Bible anymore because we've read it so many times anyway. Because we're familiar with the things of God. That we've seen it all before yeah I've seen God's miracles I've seen this but what happens is it desensitizes us to the power that's in his word it desensitizes us to the fact that actually we are all still a work in progress until we cross if we're Christians and we cross from this life to the next and when the decision we've made on this earth determines where we spend eternity, there's two places, there's heaven and hell, and I'll tell you, you know, you need to accept Jesus here, if you want to secure your eternity in heaven, it's not something you can do after you've taken your final breath, it's something you've got to do before, and I want to say to anybody who has been saved for many years, I want to say don't fall in to being desensitized of the power and the miracles of God, because of the familiarity don't get entrenched in certain behaviors and things and almost feel above correction because, well, I've been saved so many years. Because it can desensitize us to actually what God wants to do in our lives. And the third one I wanted to just mention was living in comfort. There are nothing wrong with the things that I'm going to mention, okay, if they're not something that consumes us. So we can be financially stable. And because we're financially stable, we're just living in comfort. And it desensitizes the fact that we need God. We still need God. We still need to see him in all his power, having a good job, having a good stable job. It's like it can desensitize us to our need of God still. And I like that, your life can end. We saw it ourselves with a friend a year ago like that. Talking to him the night before, I was with his widow the other day, and she was like, the crazy thing is, his daughter had gone down that morning, his eldest daughter, and had a talk with him in the kitchen, and everything was fine, and she went upstairs, and bang, was a thud on the floor, and he was dead on the kitchen floor, as fast as that, so in our comfort, we can lose our jobs, there can be a financial crash relationships, we can think we've got a really good stable relationship and it can be an interdependent relationship where this person is all I need. And what happens is it desensitizes us to the things of God. And these can cause us to live with blinkers on. And we need to be so careful because at times when we're focused on the right things and the things of God, it's good to have blinkers on. But in these three scenarios, they will cause us to have blinkers on. And so what will happen is we won't see what's going on around us. All we will see is the good old days. All we will see is, I've been safe for so many years. Or what we will see is, everything's absolutely honky-dory. I have no need of anything. I'm financially secure. I've got an amazing job, and my marriage is wonderful. And suddenly, we miss that we need him as much as the day he saved us. I said before, That one of the most asked questions I get is I want to know God's will for my life. And generally, people want to know is it that they're going to be a missionary? Is it that they're going to be in the worship team? Is it that they're going to run the kids' ministry? Is it that they're going to be on the front door welcoming? Is it that they are going to be used in their workplace? Is it that they're going to be a pastor? Is it that they're going to be a preacher? Is it going to be? And the, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Because we all get so caught up with the doing of things and the fact that as human beings, we like to have something tangible. We like to have something that's physical, something that we can touch, something that we do in the sense of we walk into a room and we do something. Or we have a title so we know where we belong. But that's not the will of God for your life. God's will for your life is that you would live a God-empowered life where the supernatural becomes your expectation. That you would live a God-empowered life. A God-empowered life is where you are completely reliant on him. That you're not empowering yourself you're not powering yourself through things. It is a God-empowered life. It's a, you will live a marked life, a life where you will stand beyond head and shoulders of the people that are around you. And where you would expect the supernatural as your everyday life. Not that we live a life and then we expect and hope, oh, something supernatural will happen. Know that that would be our everyday expectation. We would wake in the morning and it would be our default to expect the supernatural. We would go to work, it would be our default to expect the supernatural. You know, sometimes the word supernatural can freak people out. This world is crying out for spiritual experiences. They're crying out. They'll go to tarot card readers. They'll angel cards, I think people do now, contacting angel spirits, something like that horoscopes, uh, mediums to contact dead relatives that have gone before. All of these things, they are traps. And the, the Bible tells you to stay away. But the reason why these things appear to be on the increase is because as human beings, we were created spiritual. We were created with a spirit. God created us. He didn't just create us with emotions and the need for things. No, what he created us with, the absolute core spiritual beings, we're spiritual beings, and that's why, ha, how we were created, and that's why there is such an increase in people searching in the realms of darkness, because like I said before, once this life is over, there's a heaven and a hell, uh, there's only two places you go. And if anyone said there's a middle bit, there isn't, okay, once you've gone, no one's going to rescue you, that might sound freaky and scary, but it's the reality, no one's going to rescue you, After you take your last breath, there's no rescuing. I can't come and preach the gospel message to you then, the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Because it's done. It's over. And so the decision that we make now, and I'm going to tell you later how you make that decision, matters. But the reason why people, while they are still alive are searching for spiritual things, new age religion. It's all to do with the, 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 the forces of darkness, which is the devil. He exists. And I don't like to talk about him because actually he is defeated. But you need to be aware that there are forces of darkness in this world. And all those things I mentioned are more common to that. And I have nothing to do with them because they're a trap. But when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is actually God's spirit. And that is what God intended. The Holy Spirit, he is what God intended to bring us alive spiritually. As a God wants us to live his will for your life, forget anything else. Because everything else in your life will fall into place. You will be in the right job. You will be in the right place. You will be in the right relationship. You will be in the right ministry. You will be right all the time. If we live a God empowered life where the supernatural becomes our expectation. This church, this church, sounded scouse, this church, I don't know where that came from. This church, um, we're seeing something supernatural happening. We are seeing something supernatural happening. Now, let, let me explain this the supernatural thing's taking place all the time. But there are certain times, I said I was going to speak on revival, I'm just going to touch on it. Because I think it's really important that as a church and as Christians, we like the phrase revival. Because what we've seen historically over the years is a, a great big massive outpouring of God's spirit where people are getting saved, people are getting set free, cancers are being healed. And absolutely that's revival. But what concerns me is, as Christians is that we can get that word and we can whip it up. And we actually don't know what revival is. It's just that we want the big, long meetings. And we want to see this and we want to see that. We want to see that. We have no idea the part we play in it. We just like the word revival sometimes as Christians. And this church is seeing supernatural things happening. And with a specific more than what we're normally seeing. There is something stirring. God's presence is stirring. God's pouring his spirit out more than ever. And it's starting in specific areas of church. But as you'll see from last Sunday, it's spreading. It's spreading throughout the church. And so there's healings taking place that maybe you're not even aware of. There, in fact, Josh Emmanuel just pop up to the stage. There's healings taking place. There was somebody that came to a YA event the other week, um, first time ever at our church. And and he had... Um, an encounter with God. And he actually said to somebody that he knew there was something with him that wasn't right for a long time. And he tried to talk to people and he tried to get help and nobody would listen to him. But he came to this building and because of God's supernatural power, that man went set free from the thing that he knew had been going on for years and nobody. He said, I have gone for help. Nobody will help me. I've gone to the people who should have been able to help me, and they couldn't help me because the fact was he needed a supernatural experience with God. Here's one testimony for healing, and it's right that we don't look terrified, Josh. He's happy behind the keyboard not having to say anything, but it's right. We have to give glory to God, and what happens is when we talk about what's going on, faith starts to rise. Faith starts to rise in you because God's no respecter of persons. He's not going to go, well, Josh is fantastic on the keys. He's served in this church on that keyboard since he was 15 years old. I'm going to heal Josh. Joshua, tell us what you came and told us. We've known Joshua. He's been a little boy, eight years old. What did you come and tell me and Barry the other week and and the the rest of the family? Joshua, Mike Craft, darling. Oh, it's not not your fault.
1: So um, I started feeling some pain in my fingers. my little fingers. Um, and I'm not going to lie, it did hurt to play keys, but obviously I wanted to be up on the team and be serving God. So I powered through it. And then mm-hmm. I went to the doctors, and he did some tests on me, some x-rays and stuff, and he was like, we think it could be arthritis. So I was like, no, it's quite it's quite upsetting, to be honest, because like, I'm only 20. Yeah, on, I don't want to have arthritis that young. And yeah, so I came round, and I seen... Barry and I had a talk with them. They told me some things that I should do about praying, laying hands. It's hard to lay hands on my hands, but (laughs) I've just put one hand on each Um, So I did that and I was praying every day, you know, believing that I'd be healed. Um, And then I went to the doctors in, I think, December. They did more x-rays, ultrasounds, He rang me up and said that there's no arthritis there anymore. Amen. So, yeah, completely completely gone. There's no pain to bend or anything. I couldn't even make a fist. So, yeah, completely gone. Fantastic.
0: Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. All glory to God. Revival is not something we create. If we want to just grab hold of the term revival and say, we've got to have revival in this church. Revival isn't something we create. It's not something we whip up. Revival is not about status. It doesn't need a man made superstar. Revival, which is a a, a move of God's Spirit, a mighty outpouring of God's Spirit where signs and wonders and miracles take place, doesn't even need a pastor. It doesn't need a pastor. If me and Barry, God was going to do something and we were suddenly like, well, we're not, go- we're not, we're not comfortable with this, we're going to stop it. God's just going to move us out the way. He'll use us to facilitate it, but it doesn't need us. Revival is a divine move of God and something God chooses to do. It's commanded and ordained by God where he is at the center. Revival doesn't just start with a load of people who didn't believe in Jesus suddenly believing in Jesus. Revival will start with believers, with committed believers who have humble hearts, agree to repentance and a desire for holiness. And the fruit of revival is that the believers become so aware of the sin that's still in their life because the Holy Spirit has revealed it to them, that because of repentance and humbling of their hearts, they'll repent. And what happens is, The word gets out of the miracles that are taking place and people flock and people come and their lives get changed. And they accept Jesus and they begin to see miracles like what we've seen in here. Revival is when God's presence is so heavy that as we experience the holiness of God, we become more aware than ever of, of our unworthiness. When that place of, oh, I've been saved for so many years, suddenly means nothing. Because we realize actually we're unworthy. But through God's love and his goodness, he saved us. He saved us. We all should be, if you would say you are a Christian in this room, or whether you're listening online that you believe in Jesus, that you have given your life to God, that you acknowledge that you need to repent and turn away from how you lived your life without him, then you should be expecting the supernatural to take place. And I say should because you should. And if you're not, don't be condemned by it, but start to look, why am I not experiencing? Why am I not expecting? Why, like, when I have prepared this preach, like, I, I, like, I've had to go to the core of me, of me. And go, oh my gosh, I've got so many faults. I've got so many failings. There'd be more of a battle this week than they've ever been for me. But we should be expecting Acts chapter two, verse seventeen says, In the last days If you don't know where the scriptures are about the last days, come and see me afterwards. Because it's pointing to the last days of the world very, very quickly with the way things are going. The Bible tells us, you don't need to be nervous about anything. The Bible tells us what to expect in certain times. One of the things that is said back in the Old Testament, it says in the last days, I'm paraphrasing this. People are going to believe what is right is now wrong. And what is wrong is now right. Are we not seeing that rife on the earth. Earthquakes, famines lovers of self, all these things. Come and see me. I'll show you where they are. In the last days, God says, so all that's going on, but it says, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Spiritual revivals have happened around the world for hundreds and hundreds of years. And there is a pattern that happens with revivals. And we should be expecting the supernatural to take place in this church. When I said before, they're not something we can create, they're not something we can whip up, they're all different. I spent time looking at all the different key revivals in all the different countries over the hundreds of years and they started in different ways, they played out differently and the outcome was different for some people but there was one thing that every single one of them had in common. So if you're someone you're like, I want to see revival on the earth, I want to see revival in Warrington, I want to see revival in my home, I want to see revival in my family, there is one thing out of all the things that I have read and I've looked at, I'm reading Charles Wesley's journals at the moment, there is one thing. One thing. The only similarity I would say is this one thing. At the center of them were believers who had a desire for God to move. That was the one thing that connected every single one of them. Mum was telling me about the Hebridean women, the revival that started there. And then you've got Charles Wesley and you've got John Wesley. They could have been more different, different environments, different. Everything was completely different. But the one thing that bound them all together was that there was a desire in the midst of people, with believers, of people who wanted God to move, a desire to live holy, humble enough to repent, humble enough to say, I've got this wrong People who chose to live a life that stands out. A life that can't be misinterpreted to be the same as people who don't believe. Charles Wesley says in his journals that every day he would go to bed and he would write down what he'd done throughout the day. He'd go, well, that's keeping a diary. But the difference was he would write down everything he'd done throughout his day and every single thing he would question himself in that way. Did I behave holy? In that way, did I behave godly? In that way, if somebody who didn't go to church, didn't know God, saw me, and they saw me or they heard me, would they think I was just one of them? Or did I stand apart? And this man was used as part of a great revival. But he started looking with him. And the key to revival, as I've said, is repentance. It's repentance. You look through all these revival, and it started with people that said, there's sin in me. There's sin in me. Some of my behaviors, they're not godly. I'm not choosing to live a holy life. I'm choosing to live a life that still satisfies me. And what we don't understand is when we choose to live a holy life, you'll be so satisfied you'll never want for anything. All the satisfaction, satisfaction don't the word is it? but all satisfaction. satisfaction thank you very much, Mary Cross, all of those things that we put in place for ourselves are temporal, They're temporary, they'll be gone like that. But when we desire to live a holy life, when we desire God to move, when we live expecting the supernatural, you will be fully satisfied, and I will be fully satisfied. The word revival comes from the word revive, which means to bring back something to life that is dead or to bring back to life something that appears dead but is being strangulated by something and cutting off the life supply. And in Christians, that can be sin. That can be sin. Things where we're not dead, but we can appear dead. There's areas in our life that are being strangulated by things that actually, maybe it's that we don't know that they're there. But the Holy Spirit will highlight them to us. And it's at that point that repentance comes in where we turn away and we go, I'm not going to do those things anymore. It can be stubbornness that we know they're there, but we don't want to change them. And don't look at how somebody else lives their life and think, well, if they're doing it, it's all right for me. It's not what God's saying is right for you. What God's saying is acceptable for you. Holiness unto God is where revival will happen. God is a holy God and he, his presence will live and dwell in holiness. But I would say what I would like to be, I'm not saying I am it, I'd like to be a keeper of holiness. I'd like to be a keeper of holiness in my own life. I'd like to be a keeper of holiness in the church. Remember, God's will for your life is to live a God-empowered life where the supernatural becomes our expectation. Revival will happen. It will happen. But understand this, we can miss it. We can miss it. We can be in a room of God doing something, but we are in our tent, living in the good old days, living in familiarity, living in the comfort that everything's great and everything's fine, and it could all go on around us. we won't miss revival when we start thinking with our own minds when we start listening to our own advice when we listen to what God is saying to us individually because here's the thing revival will start in you and revival will start in me as we are humble enough to allow God to purify us as we're humble enough to allow God to refine us as our We turn from what we've been, and God, no, I desire holiness. I desire to live Your ways, and I'm humble enough to repent. There was a professor in America called Professor Orr, and he took a group of theological students from America, and he brought them over to the UK many, many, many years ago. Many years ago, and they went in John Wesley's house, and they walked around his house. And they went in the living room where he sat and they went in the kitchen where he was and they saw on the shelf some of his Bibles or some of his notes that he'd made and things like that. And then they went upstairs and they went into the bedroom and somebody noticed next to his bed were two worn patches on the floor. And someone said to Professor Orr, what are those? And he said, that's where he knelt every night and said let there be revival and let it start in me boy was that man used of God anyway professor Orr put all his kids on the bus ready to take them did the head count like you do on a trip I've never been a teacher but I've been a mum of five and I sometimes feel like I'm on a trip Um, did the head count there was someone missing He's missing. I mean, isn't that frustrating? Like, even when we move the kids, you get them all in the car, and they're literally like, "Where is it?" It's usually our Josh or Adam. You know what I mean? Still in the house, getting a Spider-Man figure or something. I'm like, "Get in the car!" Anyway, Professor is missing off the bus, so he goes upstairs to the bedroom. And as he gets to the top of the stairs, he hears someone in the bedroom, and he hears a whisper going on. And as he walked in the bedroom, in the two patches on the floor, was a young man, young boy. And kneeling down, he heard it. Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again. Let it start in me. Professor all stood for a moment and let it continue. And then rising to his feet was Billy Graham. True story. Billy Graham's ministry started on his knees in the place where somebody a giant before him had knelt before he was ever a giant acknowledged by men and said start in me do it in me i don't think professor Orr smacked billy around the head and told him to get on the coach i believe it was a holy moment I believe it was a holy moment. And so there is a challenge going out to each of us today. Before we start saying we want revival, we want revival, or using the word revival loosely, we need to understand that revival is not something we will create. It is God-ordained. But we do choose whether we want to be a part of revival. We choose whether we're going to accept the challenge by living holy and being humble enough to repent. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 12, says, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. God wants to speak through these few scriptures now. For some people in here, God's saying you are struggling to exercise self-control in areas of your life. And he's telling you, you've got to prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control because he's wanting to use you. He's wanting to use you as part of a revival. But these things are stopping it. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. This is for somebody. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Somebody's on the verge of doing that or has just begun, God's saying. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has revealed for your sake. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God chapter 2 so get rid of all evil behavior be done with all deceit hypocrisy jealousy and all unkind speech listen to this like newborn babies if you want revival you must crave pure pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation don't just crave it cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness the will of God for your life is that you would live a life expecting the supernatural from a place that's on your knees, saying, Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Start with me. Back into this song in a minute. If there's a challenge gone out to every single Christian in this room, a challenge has gone out today of what do you want? What do you want? God's not going to force you. What do you want? Are you in a place where you're like, I know that I want to be used, I want revival to start in me, I want to be a part of this supernatural, amazing, wonderful beyond. Natural words, things that God has already started to do in this place. Throughout the messages, the Holy Spirit highlighted stuff in you where He's like, You've got to let that go. You've got to repent. You've got to stop doing that. Are you in that place where Billy Graham was, where you're like, Do it, Lord, do it. Do it in me. Do it in me. Start in me. And I want us to all bow our heads and I want us to all close our eyes and like i'm not gonna ask you to come out i'm not gonna pray for you because this is between you and god this doesn't require me to pray for you you have a relationship with god he's your heavenly father he's your creator god jesus christ is your savior doesn't come through me comes through the relationship that you have and if that's you if you're like i know there are things in me that god is putting his finger on and i have got to repent and i have got to let go want you to lift your hand up if you're there and actually the cry of your heart i can see hands going up all over the place the cry of your heart is god do it again do it in me god use me if that's the cry of your heart put your hand up and have this moment you and god as you've got your hand up tell him tell him what it is if it's something that you've got to repent for acknowledge that you know you've got to repent for it if it's that cry of your heart of do it again lord Praise to him, saying, God, do it again. Do it in me. Say to him, whatever it takes, God, I'm up for the challenge, whatever it takes. Do it in me. This is so incredibly powerful to see so many hands up all over the room. Father God, pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit on the lives of these people who've got their hands in the air in surrender to you, in humility to you, in repentance to you, saying, I know I've got to change. I know I've got to change. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I've got one more question. We've talked all about God today. We've talked, i read in the Bible about Jesus and the sacrifice on the cross. I've talked about heaven and hell. I've talked about there being God and there being a devil. I've talked about once his life is over, there is no going back. The decision you make now, if we could just have the light up, just a touch in the room, just a touch. Everybody keep your eyes closed, please, and yeah. Heads bowed because people are having moments with their God. If that is you, and you know, I have never, I know about God and I've heard about Jesus, but I've never given my life to God. I have never said, I need forgiveness for my sins, which is the very reason why Jesus died on the cross, because God loves you so much. He loves you so much, but sin cannot be with a holy God. It cannot be present with a holy God. So with sin, we could never go to heaven. But God gave the ultimate gesture of love when he said, I'm going to send my son because Every single person that will live for this moment on, if they choose on this earth to ask the forgiveness of their sons and to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, I'm gonna save them. So that when they leave this earth, they will enter heaven. If that's you and you know today I need to do that, we ain't, we are not I'm not trying to frighten anybody, but the reality is we're not promised a tomorrow. You can't put this decision off. If you've got that feeling in you and you know I've got to make this decision. The day is now, the time is now. Everybody, every Christian, have your heads bowed, be praying for those people in the room who are about to make this decision. I just want you to lift your hand in the air. That's all I want you to do. It's only me looking. There's only me looking. I see, I see those hands, more than one hand, more than one hand, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Do you know it says over one person that repents, turns away from how they live give their lives to Jesus all of heaven rejoices and for those who just lifted their hands a party has just begun in heaven over your life and together we're going to pray this prayer but for those who've got their hands up we're going to pray it with you because we're with you and we've done it before so this is the most incredible moment for your life because we know what it feels like here's the thing what you've got to do with these words you've got to believe it in your heart and you'll be saved Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that you died on the cross for forgiveness of my sins. I'm sorry for all I've done. And I say that you are my Lord, that you are my Savior. And from this moment on, I am choosing to live my life As a Christian and a follower of God, I invite you in, God, to have your way in my life. And everybody said, Amen.